My dear, my dear, why don't you come with us? Hmm? In that old box? <laughs> we can travel anywhere and everywhere in that old box, as you call it, regardless of space and time. Then it is a time machine. And if you like adventure, my dear, I can promise you an abundance of it. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Mac. And I'm Caleb. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week we will be watching The Rescue. Uh, the Rescue was written by David Whitaker, was directed by Christopher Barry, and produced by Verity Lambert. And it debuted January 2nd, 1965 to January 9th, 1965. We have officially gone into the 65s. I have some uh, good news, bad news, Caleb. Uh-oh. Uh, the good news is that the writer, David Whitaker, um, has written previous stories, and has written a previous story, and has also been the main ed- script editor for the series so far. The bad news is that the story that he wrote was The Edge of Destruction. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. So I guess David Whitaker is the guy they call in when they just need a a quick two-episode story real quick. Just write write one up. Come on. Come on. Oh, God. So if Edge of Destruction is to be believed, this episode will have a lot of cool ideas, none of which will have any payoff. And it will feel strangely feel like we needed more episodes than just the two episodes we're going to be watching. There will also be a big tonal shift about three-fourths of the way through the story. There will also be a huge tonal shift, and um, the solution to whatever the problem was will be really, really stupid. Yes. <laughs> because he's the editor, and nobody edits the editor, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> But this is also the first episode that we're g- going to get without without Susan. So at least our eardrums will be fine. We got that going for us. Yes, I can watch this episode with headphones finally. <laughs> but, you know, uh, given everything you know about Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, The Rescue, what do you think this two-episode story is going to be about, Caleb? Uh, this is the episode I've been waiting for, really. It's going to be filled with sense and reason. Another Time Lord is going to come rescue Susan and Ian from the Doctor and take them back to 1963. <laughs> <laughs> and at first they're going to, at first they're going to resist. They're going to be like, "No, we love this." And they're like, "You're, are you crazy? What? <laughs> this man is trying to get you killed." Um, Caleb, how do you know what a Time Lord is? It has not been said in this show yet. Oh, it hasn't officially been said yet. Uh, I that's probably just one of those like zeitgeist things. And also, um, at the very top of when you click on the first Doctor on BritBox for those episodes, and it has like a little description of the season. It straight up calls him a Time Lord, even though he's not called a Time Lord for like two more years. <laughs> so, 
Uh, okay, I don't know how I knew that. I definitely didn't read the Bird Box description. I don't read those. <laughs> there, there are several things that I wish I could keep totally a secret from you, but is literally impossible due to just the cultural zeitgeist, like the fact that he's a Time Lord, the fact that there's a revolving door with companions, and the fact that there are multiple Doctors. So, oh well. <laughs> but I don't know why that happens. I mean, like, very vaguely I do, um, but, I mean... To me, it just seems like recasting. Yeah, I, I I know there's some device or some or some story device that uh you know justifies why the Doctor is a different person, but I don't yes. know what that is or why. So well, we've got some time before that happens. So <laughs> yeah, right now I'm just gonna enjoy William Hartnell being a total asshole all the time, <laughs> even though he's been really nice this season, and I don't know how I feel about it. He's uh he's grinching it up, you know. His uh, his heart grew. What was it? Three sizes. Three sizes. No, it's three sizes too small. And does it grow? I don't know. I don't. I don't read the Grinch. <laughs> this is a Doctor Seuss podcast now. It's not not too not too far. Go from Doctor Who to Doctor Seuss. I mean, they both have Doctor in the title. Yeah. Anyway, I'm stalling. So, and with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. Maybe just been a couple seconds for you, but it was almost two and a half hours for us. Yes. This is the first time we've ever recorded in the morning, so, you know, we had breakfast and shit to make and eat, so. And I had to make it for three people. I just had to make it for one and a half, because I made oatmeal for the both of us, and then I was like, you uh, spice it to your content. I don't I don't fucking know what you want in your oatmeal. <laughs> I usually don't eat breakfast, so I just drink a big old cup of coffee, and uh, I get distracted talking to my wife, and then my kids are, you know, my children, so. <laughs> they can fend for themselves, Caleb. <laughs> They're feral animals, really. They're like, what, 13? They're practically adults. Basically. If you add them all up, they're 13. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we really get into it, Caleb, general thoughts? What do you think about the rescue? <sighs> I didn't really like it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was mid tier, but we'll get into it. I, I I think probably the reason I don't like it is, it's two episodes. It felt like four. It was mm. slow. Oh my god! Yeah. I mean, I remember like in the second episode, I was like, this episode's gotta be halfway over. And I've been watching for like maybe five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, not to be fair, but I guess an explanation for it is. This is written by the guy who does the editing for all of the episodes. So it makes sense that just his writing would be as slow as the episodes usually are. This episode isn't slow enough. Um, but before we get into it, just a couple of trivia notes. Uh, this episode is the debut of Maureen O'Brien as Vicky. Uh, fun fact, Vicky is the first companion that the Doctor has actually asked to come along because Ian and Barber were kidnapped, and if the under-the-breath mumblings of the Doctor and Edge of Destruction were to be believed, Susan was not a willing participant in their leaving of their home planet. <laughs> <laughs> the first episode of The Rescue, you're going to love this, the first episode of The Rescue is the 
highest grossing episode in Doctor Who history. What? Like, to this day. What? Due in no small part, I'm sure, to, um, to, like, oh shit, one of the, one of the people left? They, I didn't know you could do that. So, like, they tuned in this time to see what are they gonna do, and saw the introduction of Vicky. <laughs> yeah. To this day, it is the highest grossing episode of Doctor Who in history. That is wild. That is wild. Right? And this is also the first episode where the crew has landed at a place that the Doctor claims to have been before. Ooh. What a neat trivia fact that one is. Whoa. The Doctor has actually been somewhere. See, my headcanon, I had it that, you know... He sold Susan on, we're going to have a bunch of fun adventures and all that. But the actual first place they went was just 1963 London, and they just <laughs> stayed there. Well, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but, like, he did mention, I think, in Marco Polo, or the Ends of Edge of Destruction, I remember, when he had, like, the wintry cape, he got that from a um, uh, famous theater person. I can't remember. Anyway, but he said he, he has peppered in a couple of mentions of previous adventures well maybe he and season like went on occasional adventures but always went back to their home planet but then he was like let's permanently leave and then kidnaps her and then didn't go anywhere else but london maybe headcanon the doctor's an asshole not that hard to justify that's not headcanon caleb that's just canon (laughs) i'm ready when you ever you are my friend are we going to do the same thing we did with edge of destruction where you just do it as one long one or do you want to split it up into two uh i split it into two because enough actually happened in this one where i I mean, the descriptions are fairly long, so... Okay, works for me. Uh, whereas Edge's Destruction was like, they wandered around for a little bit, and Susan yelled, and something about time. <laughs> they all went to their respective corners and just jacked off for for an hour, and then they're friends. Basically. <laughs> all right, so here it is. The Rescue, Episode 1, The Powerful Enemy. The episode begins with a young girl named Vicky aboard a crashed starship. She detects another ship on her computer and tells the only other crew, the only other surviving crew member, an injured man named Bennett. She believes the presence is the rescue ship they signaled, which isn't set to arrive for three more days. As it turns out, the anomaly is the TARDIS, materializing in a nearby cave. The Doctor seems tired and is clearly missing Susan. Barb and Ian volunteer to explore while the Doctor rests. They immediately run into an, a strange alien named Coquillian, he tells Ian to go get the doctor while cutting him off from Su- from Barb. I wrote Susan in there. Did I do that twice? It doesn't matter. When Ian leaves, he pushes her off a cliff and collapses at the cave entrance. Inside the TARDIS, the doctor realizes he is on the planet Dido, a world he is familiar with and whose populace is usually peaceful. When he exits the TARDIS, he finds Ian staggering and the cave entrance collapsed. They are forced to find another way out. Back at the starship, Vicky has discovered Barbara and brought her back to the ship, keeping her hidden from Coquillian. When the alien arrives, he heads to the back to talk to Bennett. The Doctor and Ian seem to have found a path through the cave. As they move along a narrow ledge, Ian is cut off from the Doctor by spikes jutting from the wall. More spikes appear and slowly push Ian towards the edge, where a mysterious creature lurks below. Moment uh, Vicky comes on stage, I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, our next companion, let's give her a big hand. <laughs> See, I, I didn't know she was going to be a companion. So when I saw her come on, I was like, look at this dollar store ass Susan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because last episode you were like, oh man, I'm really eager to see what it's like with just two companions for a little while. And I just kind of like bit my tongue. <laughs> <You're> like, yes. Because <laughs> I knew Vicky was going to be introduced. While, as in, not at all. <laughs> 
Because I was like, hmm, this character is a lot like Susan. She's young. She's a, she overreacts to almost everything. And uh, she's quick to hysterics. Really? Not quite as bad as Susan, but... I, I didn't think she was very quick to hysterics, but, um, uh, but we'll get to that. Uh, but fun fact, it's funny that you say that she was the dollar store Susan, uh, because the producers actually wanted Maureen O'Brien to dye her hair black to make her resemble Susan more. Uh, but Maureen refused and suggested that if they wanted Susan again so badly, they should try t- harder to get Carolyn Ford back. <laughs> All right, based. <laughs> dollar store Susan, you've now been promoted to family dollar Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Carolyn Ford actually came on set a couple of times to like offer encouragement and advice to her successor um, of like, okay, so this is the kind of shit that you're going to have to expect being a companion on Doctor Who. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out here, sister. (laughs) I do remember liking Vicky just like in general, but I can't really remember why I like her. And I think it might just be the sense of relief now that Susan's gone, it's like anyone will look better by comparison. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, she's fine. She seems maybe a little bland to me, but I've only seen her in two episodes, so. Yeah, so. Uh, she just seems like toned down, watered down Susan, so. That's why I say, like, she's quick to, uh, maybe not hysterics, she's quick to very emotional reactions. Just not the wild hysterics of Susan. Yeah, I, I mentioned in a like, I think in episode two, where Vicky kind of almost, almost like lashes out to Ian and Barbara and like stands up for herself kind of thing. And I just am pick I was picturing the scene with Susan in it and she would be, she would have had three separate freakouts, whereas Vicky was just like, you don't know me. That's a fair point. But we'll get to that later. Yes, we'll get to that later. Now, you said that the rescue ship was three days away, Caleb. Um, but that is a grave oversight on your part, because it's actually 69 hours away. Oh my god. <laughs> Three hours sooner, my mistake. It's actually 2.83 days away. I just feel like it's important to note that it is 69 hours away. Nice. And I was really, <laughs> I was really hoping that Vicky was going to like, was like, 69 hours? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> if it was made in 2022, it would have been. <laughs> <laughs> We will arrive at 4.20 in 69 hours. Nice. Hell yeah! <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the intro The intro is the intro. They're like, oh, here's the here's a new, here's the new character. Here's the problem. And then the TARDIS appears. And the, the first thing I know is, hey, the Doctor's asleep in the background, which I think is hilarious. Um, <laughs> this episode really leads to the fact that he's an old man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ian, that motherfucker, appears in a three-piece suit again. <laughs> Fucking again! Two stories in a row. <laughs> in his defense, although he couldn't know it at the time, wearing a three-piece suit actually turns out to be beneficial to him at the beginning of episode two. But again, <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. But why? <laughs> well, I just survived the Daleks. I better look good again. You never know. This might be my final day. He's got to wear his funeral suit in every adventure now. That's fair. He could die any moment, and he wants whoever discovers his body to know that he looked good. There was a moment that actually that got a chuckle out of me, where um, because the doctor is sleeping and the TARDIS has has materialized, the, Ian and Barbara wake him up, and Barbara says, "The doctor, the trembling stopped." 
And he says, oh, good, I'm so glad you're feeling better. And she's like, not me, the ship. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor's flagrant sexism just on display. <laughs> Oh, no, no, there's another moment. Uh, there are a lot of, like, little tiny things that I just found wildly hilarious. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and remember all of them because I don't write anything down. But there was one moment, like, right there at the beginning, like, after they wake the doctor up. Um, the doc- They're talking about something, and the doctor grabs Barb's hands and pulls them to her his chest and then touches her face. And Barb seems, like, genuinely shocked by it. Yeah. <laughs> like, just one of those improv moments that got caught on camera. I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I feel like leaving behind Susan has kind of affected the doctor because, like, his one and only family is gone now. So, like, he's maybe being a little bit friendlier than normal with the people that he's with because he realizes he doesn't really have anyone. (laughs) But I do like how they're not just ignoring Susan. Mm-hmm. because at, at one point like he's he's landed and he's doing all the dials and he he goes to ask susan to do something and he's ah hmm. hmm yes i did like that moment um and then barb jumps in and she's like teach me how to do it doctor yeah which was which was a nice moment yeah it was sometimes the show is good moments sometimes sometimes it still sucks still sucks hate it so after they land and wake the doctor up from his nap, they go out into the cave, to which the doctor, <laughs> this is the other one I thought was really hilarious, he's like, yes, this cave is very strange. Well, you two go explore. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ian makes fun of the doctor for being old. Yeah. <laughs> which, it's really funny because I, I watched that scene. I was like, that's just what Caleb would do if he were the doctor. It's like, all right, well, you two go explore it. I'm going to go take a nap. Yep, I'm going to go take a nap. I had to be old for that. I'll come out with my 29-year-old ass. It's like, wow, this looks like a lot of work. Well, good luck, guys. I'm going to go do something else. Yeah, but uh, Ian and Barbara are exploring uh, by themselves, and they have this exchange where it's like, I wonder what Susan is doing right now. Like, well, if I know anything about David, he's teaching her how to milk cows. And I was like, if I know anything about teenagers, they are currently fucking. For, like, at least a solid couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, because, like, when she said that, I was like, uh, if it's anything to do with David, he's probably learning how to milk cows. I, t- I took that as sexual. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, 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 oh he is. <laughs> Milking something. <laughs> also, you spent, like, what, three minutes with David? How the fuck? Do you know anything about David? Oh, I can tell by looking at him that, you know, he's a soldier of the Daleks. Obviously, he's a farmer. A soldier of the Daleks. A soldier of fighting Daleks. I'm an idiot. I look at that man, and I know that man milks. (laughs) Well, he is a teenager. (laughs) (laughs) All right, jerking off jokes aside, they leave the cave. Well, first, Coquillian is standing by the TARDIS, which questions, how did he get there? How did... Oh, okay, this is getting into spoilers. Do we want to talk about this? No, we'll save it. We'll save it for the big we'll save. We'll save it for later. <laughs> right, right to the spoilery questions down, if you need to remember. <laughs> but yes, but Coquillian is there, um, seemingly aware of where the TARDIS is. Uh, and then he goes outside and he d- talks to Barb and Ian. Talks to Barb and Ian and uh, says, like, hey, I'd like to meet your third crew member. Can you take me to him? And... They're like, yeah, sure. And Ian goes and then Coquillian just kind of like cuts Barbara off and like is advancing on her and saying that he's her friend. And I'm just like, why does Barbara keep being left alone 
with the obviously evil people. This is like the third or fourth time this has happened with her, and I'm really uncomfortable with this pattern. <laughs> well, the fact that Ian's like, Barb, are you coming? And she's like, yes, I'm right behind you. And he's like, okay, and just turns around, doesn't look back until the game wall collapses. I'm going to commit an Orpheus now and just not look behind me in the entire time it takes me back to get to the TARDIS. So uh, I hope she's behind me. My note was, Barbara needs to stop being left alone with obvious evil people, and then my sub-note under that is, Also, why didn't Ian wait for her? Ian can only look in one direction. <laughs> I can't turn left. I can't turn left. <laughs> this is a Zoolander <laughs> podcast now. It could it could easily be. Just in general, I really like uh, Coquillian's design. This, this is a note that you can tell I made before watching the second episode, because I say, I like how he looks super intimidating, but according to the doctor, these intimidating-looking people are very kind and gentle. Because Ian starts describing Co what Coquillian looks like. And the doctor is like, and he, he had these claws. And he's like, yes, yes, he did. And just put that, put that little moment, put a little bow on it, put it in your back pocket. Because that's going to come back up later. Yeah, I figured this was an episode where there was going to be a reoccurring... Oh, wait, you're talking about later in the... Uh story others others saying the plant dido comes back at some point no no but just this moment of him being like uh describing the claws and saying that they are very uh peaceful people just put that moment in your back pocket we'll bring it back out later i promise <laughs> so yeah and then after that uh nothing else really happens in this episode after the first 15 minutes yeah i mean nothing like physically happens i guess but barbara falls off the cliff and I'm wondering how high of a fall Barbara had, because apparently she just had some cuts and bruises on her arm. But then she tells Vicky that she used the, she like grabbed a tree branch to break her fall. And I'm like, oh, cool. So the question still stands. How the <laughs> fuck did you fall that far with only cuts and bruises on your arm? It's a far enough fall to get cuts and bruises and knock you out, but not far enough to kill you. <laughs> but not far enough that if you grabbed onto the tree branch, your arm wouldn't rip off. <laughs> I can't wait for the show to get visceral M-rated. I'm sure that happens, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then there's the scene where Barbara and Vicky are talking about what she's having to deal with and Coquillian basically keeping them at gunpoint. And uh, Barbara is like clearly sympathetic and Vicky's like, hey, I don't want your pity. I've been putting up with this. I don't need your pity. That's one of the scenes where I was like, Susan would have had at least three freakouts by now. She'd be crying right now if she were in this position. And it's why I was like, okay, okay, Vicky, you're, you're good. I like you. I feel like pacing-wise, these two episodes are kind of back to where we were, where there's not really a ton of, like, cutting back and forth. It's just very long sequences with everyone. Mm, yeah. Um, it's maybe not as bad as the old episodes, but, like, like, especially with the Ian, Ian and the Doctor in the Cave, in particular, in this episode. And it's like, oh my god, come on, do something. We get it, you're going along a ledge. Get on with it! Remember that very long sequence in the first Daleks episode where they're jumping over the cave? They're jumping over the gap in the cave? You, you had those flashbacks too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, this fucking show in caves, I swear. <laughs> Next time there's an episode and I'm like, we're in a cave, I'm just going to get my weighted blanket and be like, all right, wake me up when they're out of it. <laughs> I do like the banter between Eden and the Doctor during those, during those scenes, though, because, like, 
Ian is moving along and says that the the ledge is getting narrower and then doctor like almost falls over and then doctor says be careful my boy the the, the ledge gets narrower there and Ian's like great thanks doctor <laughs> wonderful observation <laughs> yeah uh, i mean i by and large i like the banner between Ian and the doctor usually it's the show's getting snarkier or or am i just picking up on the snark now <laughs> i don't know maybe you're becoming more adept at recognizing british humor <laughs> <laughs> maybe but yeah because like i don't know it seems like almost every line especially out of ian's mouth is just like sarcastic yeah then at the very end of the episode ian gets trapped in this well trap and two bladed walls appear on either side of him and then these bladed spikes come out from the wall that he's stuck at and is like pushing him towards the ledge down towards this monster and i'm like this trap really hinges upon a monster from the outside being in this cave to push you into. Because otherwise you just fall a short distance. And that's not much of a trap. <laughs> yeah. Um, and especially as we reveal later that uh, that cave, that, that thing they fall into has an exit. It has an exit. directly to the ship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to answer your question from earlier, Mac, the fall wasn't that far for Barbara. <laughs> yeah, obviously not. <laughs> Which is all the more baffling that Coquillian is like, yes, I definitely killed her. I pushed her off a ledge that was 15 feet high, and she's <laughs> definitely dead. <laughs> but why is there an entrance into this pit? Because not only does it hinge on, you know, them being trapped there with a the monster, but the monster might not even be in the cave. And there was an exit right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, they did mention that the Dido people are very peaceful people. So, like, it's possible that this is, like, baby's first trap. And they're like, okay, and then we'll push them into this pit. But don't worry, it's not it's not too deep. We don't want them to hurt. And, you know, we, we don't want them scared or anything. So we put in a little exit over here just in case it's it's too much for them. So they can they can just leave. But, but they will be trapped in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and the monster looks quite scary. Yes, it is quite scary. Um, it eats plants, though, so it's not going to attack them. <laughs> I mean, sure, but, like, it's really intimidating. <laughs> it will definitely roar at them. And it will be scary, and honestly, that's all we need. This is the monster you chose? Yes. This thing that looks like just a big shrimp? Yes. <laughs> while they were, while Ian and the doctor were going along the ledge... Um, and they shine the flashlight down. The, Ian makes the observation that the monster has has green eyes, and that's his reasoning for oh, it must it must be from the outside, and then made its way into the cave. It has eyes. That's your reasoning for why it came outside. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> Maybe he's trying to say like you know how like bats like can't see. Uh, there's there's some like cave cave creatures that don't have eyes so maybe he's trying to say from an evolutionary standpoint since it has eyeballs it obviously isn't like native born to a cave hmm. okay which is still flimsy logic but i'll buy it it's just in the moment it was like it has eyes which means it must be from outside what huh? no i agree it's <laughs> at best it's weak logic and it's not even explained well but um yeah that's all i had for this episode yeah but then the episode ends so I guess we'll move on to the second and final episode, Desperate Measures. 
Surprise, Ian gets around the spikes just fine, and he and the Doctor make their way deeper in the cave. Or deeper out of the cave. Back at the ship, Bennett collapses after struggling to get up to meet Barbara. When he wakes up, Barbara suggests setting a trap for Coquillian, but Bennett reacts negatively, saying Coquillian is the only one stopping them from being attacked by the Dido people. After returning him to his room, Barb spots the cave creature approaching Vicky outside and rushes out to shoot it. Vicky is upset by this, saying the creature was only coming to get food that she brought for it. The Doctor and Ian arrive right at that moment, and after a brief conversation, Vicky insists that they leave, as they are only making the situation worse. The Doctor goes to speak with Bennett and finds a trap door that leads to a mysterious chamber. Coquillian appears behind him, but the Doctor has seen through his ruse. The alien is actually Bennett in disguise, and he is using Vicky and the ship crash to hide the fact that he murdered Vicky's father. The Doctor tries to attack Bennett, but the man overpowers him. However, he is saved by the Dido people, who kill Bennett and return the Doctor to the ship. With nowhere else to go, the travelers convince Vicky to come with them as they move on to a new adventure. So, about that three-piece suit. (laughs) (laughs) It very quickly becomes a two-piece suit. It very quickly becomes a two-piece suit, because Ian is trapped on this ledge, the sword spikes are coming at him, and the way he gets out of it is he takes off his jacket, wraps it around one of the the spikes in the wall, and then just kind of like, yeah, just like shimmies around the wall. It's like, okay, now we're safe, because he couldn't touch it before because it was bladed, but now he has the jacket, so he's fine, so like... Maybe he's more prepared with these three-piece suits than we give him credit for. <laughs> <laughs> this is a three-piece utility suit. I I knew the plot twist given about uh, Coquillian and Bennett going in. But even if I didn't, I feel like just how adamantly he was like, No, no, you can't, you can't rescue us uh, using your ship or anything. Coquillian will be mad or whatever. I feel like just that scene where he totally shoots down any rescue attempts from Barbara is probably where I've been like, oh, okay. Yeah, they're, they're the same guy. Okay, got it. Cool. Yeah. Or the fact that they're never in a room together. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I got the feeling that something was up. And not just because I accidentally started the episode where you were at. <laughs> yeah. We need to, uh, <laughs> we'll need to be more careful about that in the future. Because I, I was watching episode two and then Caleb started watching episode two but it picked up where i was at which was right at the reveal which was right the moment where kukillian took (laughs) off his mask (laughs) so yeah well well ordinarily we're usually watching it at like drastically different times so this is never really an issue yeah mac is usually binging it right after uh we record the intro and i'm usually binging it right before we record the podcast (laughs) (laughs) It's all part of our clever, clever scheme. Yes, it's all, it's all the plan. That's definitely not me procrastinating. <laughs> mm-hmm, definitely not. But yeah, it was kind of obvious. Nah, I, I like it. I, I'd prefer it to be, like, obvious in the sense of, like, they kind of hint at it rather than being like, ha-ha, here's the big twist. It was me mm-hmm. the whole time. And then the monster's coming out of the cave, and Susan... <laughs> I did it. I just did it. Barbara uh, <laughs> t- takes the flare gun and shoots at it. And this is a really dumb thing for Barbara to do for at least three reasons. There's probably more. I mean, I guess maybe it's a it's a flare gun that reloads because Ian kind of implies that he can use it as de- self-defense later. But 
correct me if I'm wrong, but don't flare guns usually have like one use? I mean, yeah, flare gun does. I didn't really think of it as a flare gun, though. What would you consider it? I just thought it was this uh, like future sci-fi like plasma beam gun. I thought it was a flare gun of like the rescue ship's coming. We need to shoot it out into the up into the sky. I don't know. Did they really say what it was? I thought so. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. know. Uh, I must not have been paying attention because like when Barbara pulls it out, it's, it just looks like a big tan can with a handle. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's some crazy sci-fi gun. Probably does something weird. <laughs> My uh, thing was now they have no way of signaling the ship if that was the only use. Um, Coquillion will see the flare. Um, and also there had to be a million ways of dealing with the creature other than using like the one resource that they shouldn't have. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was just, we've had a lot of moments with Barbara where she is smart or a badass recently. Like she's coming into her own and it's really weird that we have this moment that that's just like, that was a really dumb move. There was a million other ways you could have gone about that. You know what I think it is? Hmm. I think after running over those Daleks, Barbara's developed a thirst for blood. <laughs> She's got a taste for it. Yes, and now just now in the show, just any moment where it can be solved with violence, Barbara's just going to jump in and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. The TARDIS crew and Vicky are sitting down, and uh, they're trying to convince her to let them help, but she's she's adamant that they can't help Ian and Barbara leave. And she has like a discussion with the doctor and I was having mixed feelings about how like Vicky kind of instantly trusts the doctor. But then I remembered that her dad died like two days ago. So she's probably looking for a, a father figure to replace that particular role in her heart. Just like the doctor is looking to replace the grand, the granddaughter shaped hole in his heart. So, upon reflection, I actually like the relationship between the Doctor and Vicky, but while I was watching it, I was like, hmm, this feels weird. Yeah, I, I, I definitely lean more towards the weird thing, because the Doctor is like, another young girl, you say. <laughs> <laughs> Lonely, no parents, interesting. I don't think it's quite as pervy as you're making it look with the rubbing the hands together, but... <laughs> you can't see that, so make sure you hear it. This is an ASMR podcast now. But yeah, not pervy, but predatory in the sense of kidnapping. <laughs> but again, she's the first companion that he's had that he didn't kidnap. <laughs> Even though the conversation is like, look, you don't really have any other options. You might as well. <laughs> what are you going to do? Go home? To where? <laughs> okay you and i both read that scene very differently but okay we'll get to that but anyway i like the this was really funny and again it's one of those moments where you can tell that it wasn't supposed to be funny where the doctor convinces ian what what is with the names the doctor convinces vicky to let him talk to uh bennett and so he goes to Bennett's room and he opens it a little bit and like Bennett's recorded message plays like you can't come in and but like it's it's locked and then Vicky goes back to the the living room area and the doctor's like looking around he finds like a a steel pipe that he was going to use to break open the door and it's just a really funny visual because like Vicky is like putting away the dishes and in the distance, you just hear a clang, 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 clang of <laughs> <laughs> the doctor trying to, like, just break down the door. 
Yeah, yeah, that moment was funny. Going back to that conversation, though, because this is where Vicky upgrades from Family Dollar Susan to Walmart Susan. Oh. <laughs> the companions are sitting at the table, and like they're talking about like how they're going to deal with Coquillian, and Vicky's like, I have a better idea. Why don't you go the fuck away? <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, Vicky, you're kind of cool. I dig it. Yeah, because she, she has a line that's like, I've had to deal with Coquillian for days you just got here you don't know anything about this situation stop pretending like you do which like good 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 thing good moment you have there because otherwise because again i'm just comparing it to susan it's inevitable you're going to compare a vicky to susan and it's just like susan would have just been like ah, help. it's true so yeah vicky's a little more fierce and she's a little more independent i like that uh, I feel like the doctor's going to have a big problem with it when he tries to replace her with Susan. <laughs> or Susan with her. But yeah, but I like the moment where she's like, you should just leave because you're just making everything worse. And then the companion's like, offended by that idea. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? We make every situation better. Except for that one with the Aztecs. That's, that we did not help with. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that moment. There was another moment I thought was like funny. Maybe. Well, maybe that's leading into the big reveal. Well, there was a moment where Ian and Barbara come back and they reveal to Vicky that uh, they are traveling in a time machine and they say that they're from 1963. And Vicky is like, it's like 1963, but they didn't know anything in 1963. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, all right, you little shit. Thanks. Well, I, I think that that moment was kind of weird to me because she's like, 1963? Will that make you 550 years old? And Barbara gets, like, offended by that. Yeah. Which uh, I, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to say that, like, you know, you know, something about women's age or whatever. Yeah. But it didn't really land because it would have been funnier if Vicky was just like, oh, yeah, that would make you 500 years old. That makes sense given how you look. Yeah, that would have been funnier. But Ian just rolls with it. She says that they didn't have time machines in 1963. They didn't know anything. And I'm like, yeah, Vicky, it's a time machine. <laughs> it can go back in time, too. So let's talk about Bennett's plan, shall we? Because this, this is the part where there's the big reveal. Yes. So the doctor goes down. There's the ornate chamber. He sees the Coquillian costume. And then Coquillian appears behind him. And the doctor's all like, just take the mask off. Just Scooby-Doo it for me. And Bennett, you know, reveals himself to be Coquillian. And then I have a lot of questions. Lots and lots and lots of questions. Namely being, like, this is getting a bit ahead, but when the Dido, the Dido people appear to, like, save the Doctor from Bennett. I have a lot of questions about that part specifically. <laughs> and Bennett's like, I thought I killed you all. And then the very end of the episode, the Doctor says, yes, uh, this planet belongs to the Dido people again. I was like, did Bennett, like, mass genocide the whole planet by himself? Because <laughs> that's kind of what it makes it sound like. Well, earlier in the episode, the Doctor mentions that, although he has no way of knowing at what point in time he's landed on Dido. It made it sound like he just landed on Dido, like, once before. So, I don't know. But, like, he said that there they had a population of roughly 100, and then Bennett did the explosion he did a genocide to kill all of the crew members in addition to the dido people because they were all gathered in one place oh i see i must have missed that part because i i thought the ship crashed i thought the ship crashed on dido and that was just kind of like happenstance no 
Bennett killed one of the crew members on the ship, and he was arrested for it. Then the ship crashed on Dido, and the Dido people were like, Hey, come over here while you're waiting for your rescue ship. And they like said they were having like a meeting or a feast or something. And Bennett took that opportunity of all of the Dido people being united and also all of the crew members being united. He uh, set off a bomb that wiped them all out. Oh, okay. I missed all of that. <laughs> yes. I missed the whole scheme because when, when he said, I, I thought I killed you all, I was like, did he just like, after surviving the crash, just go out and murder all the Dido people <laughs> individually? <laughs> this man is working hard to get back home and be free of murder by murdering his way there. Well, his the rest of his plan was that because Vicky didn't know that he had been arrested, so he had just killed off all of the witnesses, and the rescue ship would come. There would be no records that he had committed a crime, and if anything, Vicky being with him would just collaborate his story. No, I mean, I mean, all of that added up to me. I was just confused by the Dido people being killed by uh, apparently spaced out for the episode. <laughs> the plan is is decent if a bit convoluted but honestly enacting a genocide just so you won't have to go to a jail pretty hardcore not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) ben is metal as fuck (laughs) so then the two dido people arrive and i'll be perfectly honest i didn't think they were real i thought they were like illusions created by the temple as like a manifestation of bennett's guilt because they just kind of like came towards him and he was like backing up and then he like flips a chair, but like he flips it off to the side instead of like throwing <laughs> it at them. <laughs> I know what happened. I was like, oh my God, I love the blogging in the show. It's Pete. Chef's kiss. But I thought they were, I thought they were actually illusions of the crew. I didn't realize they were the Dido people because, and go ahead and take this moment out of your pocket. Ian was like describing Coquillian to the doctor after the, after the cave in. And he's like, yes, yes. And they, they had they had those claws. And it's like, yes, just like that. So it was like, I figured that Coquillian was more indicative of what the Dido people looked like. But if these if these two are to be believed, they just look like humans, just in weird clothes. Well, the Doctor does have a, a line. It, it totally contradicts our understanding of it. But when he first comes into the chamber uh, and Coquillian appears behind him he's like don't you know those are for ceremonial blah 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 so okay. like the claws and like the weird mask thing like that's like a ceremonial mask but it's not oh. necessarily how they look okay but still but if it's a ceremonial mask why does the doctor in the first episode be like oh yeah that's how they look yeah why doesn't he say well that's weird that's like the ritual stuff but that's not what they wear all the time yeah it's kind of weird. So, but, like, if he did recognize that of, oh, that's their ritual attire, then he probably would have, like, from the beginning, he's like, mm, something's up. Yeah, something's weird here. I think we're thinking this through more than the writer did, but... I mean, this is the writer of Edge of Destruction, so probably. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, David Whitaker, we will be holding that against you for the rest of your life. We've established that the fall is not very big, so I think it's funny that they just advance on him and he backs up so far he falls off the ledge. It's like, ah! And then I guess presumably dies because that hasn't killed anyone else so far. So I don't know why it killed Bennett. I, I, I honestly cannot figure out what happened because I thought a door closed and then he yelled. And then like first, I because I had to go back and watch it again. I was like, all right, back up, back up, back up. 
trying to figure out what happened. And then, like, you know, he's backing up. And then there's a yell. And then it cuts to the doctor. So I thought the doctor yelled as he fell over. <laughs> I had no idea what happened. No, because when they were on the ledge, when Ian and Doctor were on the ledge, they found that door. And then they continued on. And then the doctor went through that door and had his moment with Bennett. So right outside the door should be the ledge. God, I did not pay attention to this episode at all. Because I remember <laughs> him going through the trap door in Bennett's room. And then the chamber being there, I was like, okay, I guess the trap door just conveniently leads to this weird chamber. <laughs> no, he goes through the door. <laughs> okay, so the trap door leads to the cave, which leads to the door, which leads mm-hmm. to the chamber. Yes. I'm, I'm, I imagine maps were made when they were creating this. <laughs> no, they weren't. <laughs> no, they weren't. So let's talk about the scene that apparently the both of us had vastly different interpretations of. I think Ian and Barb are well-meaning in the sense of uh, they wanna they don't want to just leave this girl stranded on this planet and like she doesn't have anywhere to go else to go. So maybe we're uh, maybe she should come with us. You know, I don't know. <laughs> the doctor to me the conversation is very much like look it's not like you have anywhere else to go well as far as i know the rescue ship isn't going to be here for i guess another 67 hours which isn't nearly as cool but um i guess they didn't they didn't want to leave vicky on a potentially hostile alien planet for three days by herself <laughs> no i i mean and that's sad i just think it's the way I, the way i interpreted the whole conversation the doctors were just telling her, you don't have anywhere else to go. But you can come with us. You'd be among friends. And to me, I was like, what? Vicky barely knows you people. All you did was show up and kill her pet. <laughs> <laughs> well, since I've known you, you've killed my pet and the one other source of companionship that I've had on this planet. But uh, yeah, sure. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I... I'm sure the writers are trying to make it seem like a positive thing, but it just seems like a big gaslighting moment. <laughs> I mean, she literally doesn't have anywhere else to go because otherwise, I mean, assuming that she does survive the days it takes for the rescue ship to get there, the rescue ship takes her to Earth, and then... What? Because her father's dead. She has no, she has no family to speak of, so at least by coming with them on the TARDIS... She has some friends, and she'll have some adventures. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, that that seems reasonable, but at, as we've also established, she's known these people maybe a couple hours, and literally all they did was kill her pet. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so, and like, yeah, she had a nice conversation with the doctor, but is that enough to like abandon everything, even though you have nothing? I don't, I don't know. It seems. I'm not saying that it's healthy because it's obviously not, but she definitely, I think she sees him as like, oh, okay, you can be my replacement dad. I'll go with you. That's obviously not healthy in the slightest, but I can see that mentality of her wanting to go with the TARDIS. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think it's funny. I, I, I saw it and like genuinely laughed. Um, but yeah, that's all I had. Yeah, those were all I had. Um, let's see, there's any other trivia. Uh, we've got, uh, apparently Jacqueline Hill injured herself when she first fired off the flare gun because apparently the explosive connected to the wooden prop gun, uh, went off just with a little bit more force than expected. (laughs) Hmm, interesting. But yeah, final thoughts. What'd you think of the rescue 
in general. I like the costume design. Uh, Vicky grew on me, even though I thought she was the dollar store Susan at first. She upgraded from dollar store Susan to Walmart Susan. Yeah, and maybe she'll, maybe we'll get all the way to, up to Target Susan in the next story. And dare we dream, Whole Foods Susan? Whole Foods Costco <laughs> Susan? <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was very, very slow. And now I'm realizing that maybe it's my fault because I wasn't paying close enough attention. <laughs> But not a lot of things made a lot of sense. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not the worst episode, but it's lower for me. Overall, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fine. Um I I I kind of feel bad that I keep harping on on Whitaker and the Edge of Destruction, but it is better than the Edge of Destruction. It is better than the Edge of Destruction cuz like there's a more coherent plot. I I wish that I didn't know the plot twist going in. I'm curious if that would have affected my opinion of it in any way. I thought it was a decent introduction to Vicky. Because at the very least, I'm eager to see more of her. Because I feel like she didn't get a chance to shine in this episode. Mm-hmm. And maybe, oh god, I, I'm not gonna rec- I'm not gonna say that this episode needed or the story needed more episodes. But I feel like I could. I wish there was a way it could have been written where we got more time for her to actually grow on the travelers. Yeah, because her deci- her deciding to go on the TARDIS still seems weird. Yeah, I can see that because. She kind of straight up hated Barbara for, like, a couple minutes because, well, I mean, she killed her pet. So that's understandable. She likes the doctor because, hey, look, a new dad. Isn't that neat? Ian, she hasn't had any interactions with at all. Mm-hmm. They do not have a relationship yet. Yeah, so, like, it was... The dynamic began when, like, when the Ian and Barb first get on the TARDIS makes sense because, like, they don't know the Doctor, but they know Susan. They have a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Um, Vicky doesn't have a relationship with, like, literally anyone. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Doctor a little bit, but that's, like, more, like, energy and, like, vibes than anything. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm not going to suggest that this particular arc needed to be longer, but I feel like the introduction with a new companion needs to be a bit longer to kind of settle them into the dynamic that is 100 percent fair and i know the next companion introduction it's a little ways off but i don't remember that at all like i know who it is but i don't remember like how they're introduced so no. i guess we'll find out i guess we'll find out thank you for listening everyone you can find the, this podcast on pretty much every podcast network apple podcasts spotify stitcher uh, if you like it and you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find the podcast at QuickTripDW, and you can find Mac and I specifically at MacTheMa and at CLB underscore Clark. And join us next time on A Quick Trip Through Space and Time, in which we experience the first Doctor Who episode that is specifically written to be a comedy in The Romans. Oh. Although he might actually be dead, so I'm not going <laughs> to Google it. So I'm not going to Google it. I'm just going to I I'm just going to insult either an old or dead man. How's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> and um, we want you to do something about it, David, or his estate.